0: Thank you. I think he said, welcome me. There we go. Good morning, y'all. It's really good to be here. Um, I love, love, Matt mentioned, you know, we're one of six congregations here at West, or y'all are one of six. I'm another one of six. Excuse me, Evan. Wow. Sorry. Matt's not here. We can talk about Matt all day long, though, because he's far away. Um, And uh, I love when I get to come to the other congregations. I really, really do. And I've only been able to be here a few times and can say I'm not going to like, Claim favorites, but I really do love being with you guys and it's been a, you sweet community. So I'm glad I get to preach. Um, y'all, I had a great sermon planned for this morning um, and uh, partly because the passage of scripture that we were supposed to be preaching on was uh, a, a scripture passage that I had already preached on and I went, it was back in 2016 and I went and found my notes and I was like, wow, this is, it's like, a, it's a pretty good sermon. Like I'm kind of excited. Like I get to reuse this. And uh, I came into the office Friday morning and uh, Number one, I realized I was really angry, and I'll tell you why I was really angry. And being angry Friday morning, I realized, oh, I can't preach the sermon that I was going to be preaching. So uh, what we're going to now do is, uh, I mean, I'll call it a sermon, because I think anytime we open the word and trust the Lord to lead us, we can call it a sermon. But uh, we're going to talk about anger this morning, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to apprentice Jesus in uh, his anger, and our own. Uh, So let me pray for us and we'll jump into whatever, whatever this next 20 minutes is going to be. Lord, uh, we, uh, we just come before you and we submit, uh, everything to you. Um, Lord, you, you have given us so many promises about who you are and who you'll be for us. And I am sorry that I don't let you be true to your promises for me sometimes. I'm sorry that you, you have promised to uh, be there for me, lead me, uh, and I wanna lead myself. I'm sorry that you have promised to love me and care for me and fill me up and I look all kinds of other places uh, to do that. Um, Lord, I'm sorry that you, uh, you promised to guide me in where I should go and, uh, and yet so often I'm looking for other people, other things, to do that. And so I just confess that, Lord, my heart is heavy for that this morning. Um, And I thank you that even in my sin, uh, you don't leave me, that those promises are still true for me, even when I reject them. And uh, so I'm here now and I I pray along with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we would, uh, over these next few minutes, that we would uh, really get in touch with who we really are with maybe a part of ourselves that we don't like to look at or we've hidden from, or we might just not even know it exists. And would we bring that to you? And Lord, would there be new life birthed this morning in our hearts? Um, Because that's what Jesus, that's what you do. Uh, We need that. And I ask for that, for me, uh, as I deliver this. And it's in your holy and precious name that I pray. Amen yeah, I'm not angry right now, so don't worry. Um, I'm not feeling that right now, but I want to talk about anger. Um, I want to talk about what it is, and and we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus gets really, really angry. Um, So I live uh, about three miles from here. Uh, The Napier, historic South Nashville, the Napier community that Evan referenced uh, is about three miles from here, and it might as well be 3,000 miles from here in terms of life experience, in terms of what goes on, in terms of what it looks like, in terms of what it's like to be there. And that makes me angry. Um, Napier is one of the largest, I think right now, since the Casey Homes public housing is, is kind of being transformed, torn down and rebuilt. Napier is the largest public housing in the state of Tennessee. It's actually the largest barrack style, which is like an old World War II era style public housing. It's the oldest, or excuse me, it's the largest of that type of public housing left in the entire United States of America. All the others have been torn down and rebuilt. And then JC Napier and Tony Sudicum homes here in Nashville is the largest that's still remaining. the, the highest, and that makes me angry, the highest crime intersection in our city for th- the first three years we lived in the neighborhood, for three years in a row, the highest violent crime intersection was two blocks from my house. And that makes me angry. Uh, there is prostitution on the street all day long. There is drug overdosing um, on the corner above. Like I can look at it from the front door of my house constantly. And that always makes me angry. Um, there two weeks after the covenant shooting, um, there was a man gunned down on his doorstep and was pulled inside his house, uh, by his kids. Um, and I was walking the neighborhood the other day, this is Friday, and there's still bullet holes in his front door that the housing authority hasn't replaced. That makes me angry. So, uh, when I got to work Friday morning, I was carrying all that. And uh, it's the apprenticeship that I have taken on with Jesus, apprenticing the master, the master emotional man, Jesus that has helped me to begin to accept that anger, to see that anger, to acknowledge it. And I think to begin to use it. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. I think um, in this idea of apprenticing Jesus, we don't just apprentice a man who did things like did good deeds. We pre- apprentice a man who was perfect in his interior life. He was perfectly congruent. Who he was as God, but as also the perfect created human with, with all human emotions, by the way, he lived that perfectly. The congruence of God and man in his emotional life was perfect, there wasn't a gap between him being a man who experienced emotions and him being God. And so why is it that we have kind of decided, well, you know, anger is one of those things, and I would put some other emotions with it that kind of fall on the bad side of the list, right? Like I got five kids, I can tell you, I never praise them for their anger. (laughs) I don't, and it's not always right, right? So maybe I shouldn't all the time. But I never do it because I kind of assume and I have this, this way of thinking because of the way anger has affected me, the anger I have experienced from others, the abusive way that others have used emotions against me and my own mistrust of my heart. This is an area of my life and I think it's an area just broadly speaking across the board if you're human. And if you're American, you know, some of this is culturally conditioned. If you're American, uh, you know, in in the Western world, in the 21st century, it's something, it's an area of your life um, that probably needs some apprenticing with the master of anger who is Jesus. So I'm going to uh, have Drew come read our scripture passage. We're just going to use this story of Jesus's anger to jump further into what I was just talking about. So grab your Bibles while Drew's coming up. Um, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, excuse me, the book of Mark chapter 11. And then I'm going to tag uh, a verse from the exact same story in John to the end of it. So Mark chapter 11, take it away. Mark 11:15 through 17 and John 2:17. on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Drew. So this is not an unknown passage, right? This is the the cleansing of the temple, Uh, Jesus coming in and flipping the tables in the temple. And uh, it is unique, right? We don't get lots of examples like this. In some ways, this is, this is certainly not the only time we get pictures of Jesus's anger in scripture, but it's for sure the most uh, picturesque, right? You can imagine this happening. And, and I think sometimes with these kinds of stories in scripture, they really do. If you have been a Christian a long time, I kind of, if you're new to Christianity or you're even just an explorer and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, and you're here this morning, I kind of envy you because you will have fresh eyes to see what maybe me and some of us uh, have a little bit clouded because this is one of those stories that can, it can just get taught, you know, all the way from your Sunday school, felt bored growing up, and, and we can kind of box away these sort of stories and sometimes miss the significance. Hopefully that's not true for you, but I know it has been for me with this story. So I want to I look at this because this is a picture of an angry Jesus, you cannot get around that. I know there have probably been all kinds of interpretations of this story that try to downplay that or or even try to twist the story to make you think, well, he wasn't really angry or this was this was like some other kind of thing, you know, going on. We we can over-spiritualize Jesus. Try that one on for a second, right? It's possible. We can we can forget that God came in the flesh to be fully human. Not partly human, not human, except for some of these human things. Now he didn't have sin, right? We'll talk about that. But he was fully human, and so he is fully angry, and he's fully God, so he's fully perfect in this, I would say, pretty extreme expression of anger. So why is Jesus angry, is the question. He is angry, we can see that. He flips tables, there's in the Matthew account, it literally says he makes a whip and he runs around wielding a whip with the people in the temple at this time. So why is he angry? Well, maybe a better question, and this I think might be a place we can jump off to talk about what anger is for Jesus and what anger can be for us A better question than why is Jesus angry is maybe why did the anger that was a part of Jesus? Because one of the points I wanna make is that anger is a part of us. It is a part of what it means to be human. It's part of a a well-rounded experience of life. So why did this anger that was a part of Jesus come out at this moment? What was it that was going on that made the existing anger, this, this kind of bubbling pot of anger that lived in the life of Jesus was a part of his emotional life. What about this particular episode in history made it bubble over in this way? Well, this was the time right before Passover when our story takes place. And we know Passover was the most important of all the feasts of the Jews. And it was the Jewish law, their religious law and their civil law It was law for the Jews to come to Jerusalem during this time to make a pilgrimage and to bring with them, or to purchase, when they got there, a sacrifice to give at Passover. There were lots of different feasts during the religious calendar of the Jews, but the Passover was the time, the most important time for the whole nation of Israel, the whole family of God in this nation to come and atone for their sins by sacrificing animals. They were commanded to do it. And so they did it. All over the Jewish world, they would come to Jerusalem for this time. So it was very, very important. It was very important that they had sacrifices. Now here's a problem. If you're traveling 100 miles for a sacrifice, you don't necessarily want to have to haul that lamb, right, or that whatever with you. And it actually was even more complicated than that because sacrifices were supposed to be perfect. If You've studied uh, the Old Testament and Jewish uh, faith at that time. It was supposed to be a spotless animal. So if it's the lamb, which is kind of the most traditional sacrifice for the Passover feast, it was supposed to be a perfect, unblemished, unwounded, unsick, spotless lamb. Try trying to carry a lamb for a hundred miles in that day and not have it get sick. So there was a problem that the people had at this time. They needed oftentimes to get or purchase their sacrifice in Jerusalem when they got there. And so that is what leads us to the situation that Jesus finds in the temple. The reason all these people were in the temple is because they were selling and buying sacrifices for Passover. And it mentions money changers. So not only were you having to buy and sell sacrifices, but people coming from different parts of the world that had different currencies of money needed to exchange their money for the right money to be able to purchase the sacrifices. And so this was like a crazy, complicated, integral, and important economic thing that was happening in the temple. So why was Jesus angry? What was it about this episode that made his anger bubble over in such a seemingly to us extreme way? Well, it was because in the middle of all this economic activity, the human heart was doing what the human heart did and greed and oppression and marginalization were happening. It specifically mentions that he flips over the tables or he drives out those who were selling doves. Doves were the sacrifice for the poor. The book of Leviticus gives concession for people who couldn't afford a lamb to sacrifice a dove instead because it's a lot cheaper. And so we're getting an insight into the fact that it was the money changers and the dove sellers who Jesus was most mad at. And so what we get, even though it's kind of between the lines of this text, it would have been very obvious to the original readers that this was a time and this was a place where the oppression of the poor the victimization of those who were already marginalized, those who were traveling from far away, which probably means they could have been different ethnicities. They were Jewish in faith, but they might not have been Jewish racially. They were coming in and they were being marginalized and subjected to abuse in the court of the temple. And what does Jesus do? He flips his lid. He says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. It is supposed to be a place for my people to be with me, to commune with me. It is a place for the poor and the marginalized and the suffering to come and for one day out of the year to experience the presence of God. Because that was what the temple was for. It was the place for the people of God to be with their God. And yet it had become the place of victimization and abuse. And Jesus is pissed. He's upset. He says, no, you have made my house a den of robbers. And In the book of John, it says the disciples remembered, oh yeah, Jesus said that zeal for his house will consume him. And what was the zeal? Well, zeal can look a lot like anger, can't it? So what's going on here? What does this teach us about anger? Jesus was angry because something he loved or someone he loved was being hurt and being threatened. And that is the key to understanding why anger is so important. Anger is the muscle of love. I want you to think about that for a second. Anger is the muscle of love. Anger is like the bodyguard behind love. You ever seen like an important person, right? Let's say like a politician or even like a movie star. Who do they always have with them? They got some muscle, don't they? They got people following them to make sure that they're protected, to make sure that their will gets done, to make sure that whatever they want to happen succeeds. Love needs muscle, doesn't it? Have you ever experienced weak love? Have you ever experienced impotent love? Or love that couldn't get backed up? It's a sad thing, isn't it? The purpose of anger is so that the things that you love can be protected. It's to ignite in you a sense of value and fervor and zeal to see what you love flourish. And to see what you love not attacked, not victimized, not hurt, not abused. Think about your kids, what makes you, if you have children, what makes you the most angry more than anything else? I know for me, it's if anyone threatens my kids. Just the thought of that. Makes me angry. Right? It's because I love them. I expect that their needs are going to get met. I expect that they will be protected. They will be safe. They will be allowed to flourish. And if I see something getting in the way of that, my anger comes behind my love and it gives it some muscle. It gives me the ability to fight for what it is that I love. And your Jesus loves fiercely, He loves you fiercely. He wants to be with you, just like he wanted to be with the people in the temple, all of them, but especially the ones who needed him the most, or at least knew that they needed him the most, the poor, the marginalized. There's a reason in scripture why it is, they call them the quartet of the vulnerable, because there's four groups that are always discussed. They're always held up as particular objects of the affection of God. The poor, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. It's not even that there's something inherently special about only those four categories. If you don't fall in those categories, you're not specially loved by God. It's because the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners, especially at this time, without good government social services or police protection or whatever you wanna you know, look at and at least we can hope is supposed to protect marginalized people today, they didn't have that. Right? So if you were a widow, if you were an orphan, if you were someone from another country, you didn't have basic protection, which means you knew You needed God. You knew you needed the power and the love of God. And so who does Jesus love most? He loves the people who will let him love them. Okay, I know he loves everybody, but Jesus loves just like you. You love someone who looks at you and says, yes, I want you, right? How hard is it to love someone that looks at you and says, I don't want you, I don't need you. So imagine when we do that to the Lord, when we say, no, I'm not poor, I'm not, I don't need anything from you, God, I've got it, I've got it made, I've got my plan, I've got my career, I've got my relationships, I've got my money, it's all protected. It's a barrier between you and God, but not so for the people who God was protecting in this story, and not so for many of the folks that live in my neighborhood. the poor, the marginalized, the weak, the suffering. Jesus loves them because they're the closest to him. If you're powerless, he's powerful. If you're poor, he's rich. If you're suffering, he has medicine for you. And so Jesus's heart in this story is enraged and in love for the people that he loves. And we see in this a model for the place that anger should have in our hearts as well. So I grew up in uh, what we call it, LA, lower Alabama. (laughs) And uh, I had this neighbor named Kenny And uh, some people tell me I don't have much of a southern drawl. I don't know, some people, you might disagree, but um, trust me, Kenny had that Alabama accent. And uh, Kenny used to always say this when when we were playing. He would, uh, like, we saw a little, like, rattlesnake over in the bushes. He'd, like, start throwing rocks at it. All right, I'm gonna stop. He'd start throwing rocks at the snake, and he'd always say, I just remember this as a kid. He'd be like, oh, he's getting good and angry now. (laughs) He's, He's getting real good and angry. So what does it mean to be good and angry? Is that possible? How could we, like Jesus, apprentice the master in being good and angry? Well, it starts with knowing this. Um, One of my mentors says this to me, my Jesus knows what sin has done to me. My Jesus knows what sin has done to me. So the first thing that you have to do if you want to apprentice Jesus in reclaiming your anger as the muscle of your love and the appropriate partnership that those two things have is you have to get in touch with what sin has done to you. Because this, this is what sin does. Sin replaces love and anger this beautiful partnership that they should have, sin replaces love and anger in your heart with fear and shame. That fear and shame, fear of not being enough, fear of not having your needs met, fear of God not loving you, and God not even being who he says he is for you, and then the shame that you feel because you never live up to your idea of who you would need to be for him to love you, those two things, because of sin, replace what love and anger should be, and where it should have its place in your heart. And so, then when we live with fear and shame, then we begin to look at the world through eyes of law and judgment. Because if I'm afraid, what do I want? I want law. If I'm worried, if I don't feel like my needs are gonna be met, I want a recipe. I want a set of rules. I want to live based on law because what happens if I obey the law? God loves me. You get it, at least a little bit? That sin comes in and it takes my love and my anger and it puts it away and it gives me fear and shame. And so then I use eyes. I look at the whole world now, my own life and the lives of others with law and judgment. I'm judging everything. I'm judging myself, I'm judging you, because I'm afraid and because I'm ashamed. And what happens when I have fear and shame and law and judgment altogether? I don't love. I don't love. I can't love. I can't love myself because I'm too busy judging. I can't love you because I'm too busy looking through the lens of the law to determine if you measure up because that's how I see myself because that's how I view the whole world now. That's what sin has done to us, is it has made us people that don't love anymore and and can't accept the anger that comes with our love, and instead we live with fear and shame and law and judgment, and we apply it to everything in our lives. So I don't have love for my brother. I especially don't have love for my brother or my sister when they represent for me, okay? follow this for a second, I don't, I especially don't have love for my brother and sister when what they represent for me is something I have said, I will never be that. And so now apply that to the people who Jesus loves the most, the sick, the poor, the wounded, the hurting, the oppressed. I look at those kind of people and I say, well, I surely am never going to be that. Remember, because I'm afraid, right? And I'm ashamed. So I say, I don't want to be that. I don't want to look like that. I don't want to have a life like that. And so I can't love the people in front of me that need me. I can't love them with the eyes of Jesus, the way he loves them, because I'm so busy, worried about how I myself measure up. That is what sin has done to us. Every one of us, every single one of us. We're all somewhere in that journey of fighting against that very reality. And so what do we need? We need the gospel. And you want to know what the gospel is in terms of this topic we're looking at? The gospel, which is good news, right? That's what that word means. The good news for you and me this morning is that Jesus is angry for you. He's not angry at you. He's angry for you. You're the object of his love. And so he's angry at what sin has done to you. He's angry. It makes him mad. It makes him so mad that he wants to flip over the tables in your life. He's angry for you because he loves you and he hates the things that have gotten in the way of his love for you and your love for him. He hates the law and the judgment that you live with. He hates the fear and the shame that burden your life. He hates it, and it makes him angry. And in his anger for you, not at you, he's right there next to you. And he says, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What are we usually weary and heavy laden by? (laughs) All that stuff. He says, come to me, you that are carrying all this, and I will give you rest, because I love you, because I'm angry for you. And so we have an opportunity as those who have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, if you've not come to Jesus, this is one of the ways you can come to him. You can say, Jesus, wow, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm, I'm full of uh, living up to my own laws, I'm full of judgment, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm ashamed. Jesus says, come to me in that place and experience my love. Maybe for the first time. So that's an invitation to you this morning. If you have not come to Jesus at all, and if you have, if you're sitting here as a Christian, as someone that's walked with Jesus for two weeks or two years or 22 years, he says, come back to my love. Reorient your life back to my love and then go and reorient your love's come back to me, reorient back toward my love, and then ask yourself, where are your own loves, the things that you love, completely out of whack? Because let me tell you, if you're not angry about anything, then it's probably because you don't love anything the way you should. And if you're angry about the wrong things, it means you don't love the right things because they're connected. So do you love the things that Jesus loves? And does where you're angry point to true loves or false loves? Which is another way of saying, are you angry about the right things? One thing I get angry about all the time is my kids. I hate it. My dad was a pretty angry man. And I hate that I come at my kids with anger too often. That's probably not a right love for me. Now, anger about my kids, anger to protect them, that's a different thing. Right? So look at the places in your life where you're angry and ask, do they point to true loves? And if they do, hold on to that anger. Get in touch with that anger. Figure out what's beneath that. Give it to the Lord and say, Lord, redeem this. And if it's an, uh, an anger that points to something that he doesn't love, if it's self-protective, not in a right way, right? If it's, if it's self-serving, not in a right way, then give it away to him and ask him to reorient your heart. And then finally, just because it's near and dear to my heart because of the community I live in and the work that I do and because we see it in this very passage of scripture, here's a final more pointed question. Does your heart grow fearful? Does it grow ashamed or does it grow judgmental toward the poor and the suffering and the marginalized in the world? And notice I didn't say, do you love them? I said, does your heart grow fearful, ashamed or judgmental? Those would be signs that you've got those goggles of law and judgment on. And you're being, you're being ruled by fear and shame. And Jesus is saying, no, get angry with me. Get angry with me for the suffering in the world. And then ask me, what are you gonna do about it? Where can you go? How can you partner with Jesus in his anger for those that are suffering? I'm gonna pray um, and then the band is gonna come and we're gonna put a few questions on the screen. I think this is something that y'all have been doing in this series um, and, uh, and I'll, um, I'll read them and we're gonna have a little moment of reflection, okay? Let me pray. Jesus, care, oh, care for our hearts. I hope, Lord, that you don't take my... Well, I know you won't do this. I hope no one in here can take my words and feel ashamed. So Lord, I pray against right now shame. Um, If there is something I've said that has just really pricked somebody because I know it's pricked me, Lord, don't let them run to fear and shame. Let them run to the gospel. Let them run to sober-minded sadness for their sin and what it's done to them. And would they bring that to you? Would this be a place where the good news of your angry love for us is proclaimed through the work of Jesus? So would we come to you, Jesus, right now? Would we come to you tomorrow? Would we come to you this week? Um, especially as we reflect um, this week on, uh, on these questions that can lead us to apprenticing with you more deeply. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if we can get, uh, if we can get these questions up, I wrote these kind of like a prayer. So let me just read them and then I'm gonna give you a chance to sit. Jesus what do I love right now in my life? Where are you calling me to put down what I love and pick up what you love? Jesus, where am I angry in my life right now? Will you show me where I am angry in the wrong way because I'm loving the wrong things? And will you show me where I'm not angry enough and help me to find my anger for the things that you love? We'll send these out this week, but take a few minutes uh, to sit with these.